begin, I would like to ask the Lord to help us. Because if we do not receive his help, we will not have help. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Holy Father, we come now. We come to worship you. We come to praise you. And to do so, we have sung hymns to you. We have prayed to you. And we ask that the intercessory work of Christ might make these things more pleasing to you. Because without him, we are truly nothing. We are truly the bane of this creation. But with Christ, we come boldly because he is our worthy Savior. So we pray, Lord, that the word of God have free reign. And that Christ might truly be lifted up. And that all eyes be cast upon him. May you glorify yourself in Christ and in the salvation of those who do not deserve it. So, Father, we ask this in the name of our Savior. Amen. Amen. Now, I have been teaching through the apocalypse, and so uh, you may say, well, I'm just doing this as a Christmas message, and that's uh, partly true. However, in Christmas, we are looking at the first advent. And in the apocalypse, the visions that we were looking at, all seven visions, they happen between the first advent and the second advent. And so what we're actually looking at are things that we already have and things that are not yet. And the first advent, Christ came and he became flesh. And that's not a small thing. That was absolutely necessary for the salvation of sinners. And with that, we already have that. But until the second advent, we have within our grasp, as good as we have it in our hands right now, the presence of God forever. Mm -hmm. And we are completely saved. But it won't, but what that day will be, I can't even compare. And so what is not yet here, is tremendous but by faith we still have it we already have it and yet it is to come the first advent the second advent and so today i'm looking at primarily the first advent next week the second advent the second advent after that we continue in the book of the apocalypse and so the doctrine for today the main purpose that i want you to take home what i want you to have out of this is that the bible its main purpose is to reveal Jesus Christ as the Savior of undeserving sinners. Now, do not be confused about this. We are to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is the whole purpose of man. And God's glory is supreme in all these things. And so, when God saves undeserving sinners, in doing this, He displays the glory of God in a spectacular way. God is glorifying himself, and to our good, he has glorified himself by saving sinners who don't deserve it. And I want to just kind of camp here just for a few minutes, because sometimes people have a way of looking at what God does, and they look at him as though they're looking at another man. If we saw a man do good deeds, and it was proven that he only did these good deeds to get his name in the newspaper. He would say, well, he's not that good, is he? 
He's just interested in his own glory. And yet God has already told us he is doing this for his own glory. And we as sinners, we who have lived in darkness our whole life and have the, the weight and the burden of a sinful heart, of a heart that actually hates God, and we all of a sudden find reason to judge him as though he was one of us because the best thing that God could ever do is glorify himself, is to lift up justice and righteousness and kindness and grace and mercy. For God to glorify himself only benefits us, and he does so for our benefit. And we can praise his name that he has chosen to glorify himself by saving those who don't deserve it. So that's what I want you to do today. I want you to, I want you to be aware that there is a natural bias within us that says, why does God want to glorify himself when I'm not allowed to do that? Well, look at yourself. Should you glorify yourself? And look at God. Should he glorify himself? Let's, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's do this. And, we, and with this, we have to say, don't listen to your heart, but listen to the scriptures. Listen to the scriptures and then speak to your heart. Because this is a time in which we must defer to the scriptures and let the scriptures do the talking while we do the listening. This is how we grow in grace. And if you want to become that mature Christian, then you have to come to the realization one day that God's glory is greater than you, greater than your glory. In fact, it would be the best if he did. So with that, let's go into the, the message. Now, we did a lot of reading today, did we not? We read in Luke, we read in Matthew, and we read in Isaiah. And the reasons I wanted to read those passages is to point out that Christ fulfilled prophecies. He completed and accomplished ceremonies. And these must be done by Christ. The Old Testament, sometimes people say, well, I'm not an Old Testament Christian. When I was a young boy, I mean, I'm talking uh, in the second grade, I can remember Christians in church, they would say, do you believe the Old Testament? You know, of course, as a little boy, I I, you know, I didn't have anything to say about it, but they would say, you know, those miracles and so on. I'm a New Testament Christian. Well, if you want to be a whole Christian, you must have a whole Bible. You must have the Old Testament with the New Testament. And so with this, we're taking a look at Isaiah, one of the major prophets. I would, I would say the, the major prophet. And so the message today is going to have two parts, but, but they're both going to come from Isaiah chapter 9. I would like to briefly read those seven verses to you. Um, well, no, I'm not. I'm going to read two verses. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, in the King James, they have a comma after wonderful, because uh, I agree with that. I agree that there should be a comma there, because that word wonderful means miraculous. He is wonderful because he's really a wonderful, mighty God and a wonderful, everlasting father and a wonderful prince of peace, not just a wonderful counselor. But he is wonderful. He is counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And of the increase of his government and of the peace, there shall be no end. On the throne of his father, David, and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. 
Now this is spoken in the already and not yet since. Now you see the prophecy here is spoken by, the, by Isaiah at a time when he says, Assyria is coming down to destroy Israel. But one day, in the last time, there will be a great light in this land. And he's speaking as though it's already done. And then he says, of the increase of that government, it shall never end. And so he, he's telling us today, you have something already, but there's also something that has not yet happened. And so we're going to look at that. This week, we're looking at what we already have. Next week is what is to come. And so with that, let's move on to our observations. There are readings that we did this morning concerning, um, like for example, in Luke, we saw a man by the name of Simeon. And he was anticipating the consolation of Israel, you know, the comforting of Israel. And he was said, you'll, get, you'll, you'll see the Christ of the Lord before you die. What a relief that was. What a relief that was. Now, when we read in Matthew, there was another man. And he was told about Christ. And what did he do? He murdered children to try to prevent it. Do you see the difference here? He knew and believed the prophecies. He even went and said, I want you to tell me exactly when this Christ is to come. You see, back then, it was a popular belief that when this king came, that he would conquer the world. And now I'm speculating that Herod said, well, you know what? Why don't the next king get to do that? Not me. I'm king right now. Let the Lord send the anointed one in the next generation. I'd rather be king and remain king. And so you see that the anticipation of Christ had two different directions on it, did, not, did it not? One had a longing for what Christ would do for them. The other, the other had a longing to serve themselves. And so with that, we see that Christ completed these things. He did all these things. And now we're going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 9 in detail. And so, in order to get an idea of what chapter 9 is all about, we do have to back up to chapter 8 for just a few minutes, okay? We're going to take a look at the last three verses of chapter 8. And let me read them to you. To the teaching and to the testimony. If you're looking at it, did you notice the exclamation point? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to his word. Now he's talking about false prophets. All the ones that our brother Art was telling us about in the study hour. If they will not speak according to the word, it is because they have no dawn. Now let's kind of put that in context. You see, Isaiah is a poet. Oh man, the, the man can speak so well. You see, the people of this time, the people at that time, they sought truth from every place except God. They went to the soothsayers. They went to um, the diviners. They, would, they went to those that the scripture says, they peep and they mutter. And it actually said, you have gone to those who speak to the dead to find out what is needed in your life. But, Isaiah and God through Isaiah is saying this. It's to the teaching. It's to the testimony. That's where you need to go. Go to my scriptures. If they, the false prophets, will not refer to them, it's because there is no dawn that rises up in their hearts. There is no light that's going to come across the land, and it will not come from them. Verse number 21. They will pass through the land. Now, 
I have a, uh, my opinion is that this says this. They are going to live their lives in the land and they will pass through it, living their lives, greatly distressed and hungry. Now, hungry. Now, this is a physical thing, isn't it? You could be distressed and hungry in your, in your bodies, obviously, and they will be. But the heart, the human heart, is a hunger factory. It is a factory that longs. It is a factory that desires. It loves and it hates. It is the mind that the, that the heart uses. And it is the body that the heart uses. And it is the heart that hates God and it is the heart that loves God. And therefore, it says they're going to be greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their God and their king. This is the condition of those who lived in darkness, who followed those who had no dawn in their lives, no sun rising up to give light, because these people live in darkness. And they will turn their faces upward. Now, I know you're thinking, well, that's a good thing, right? They need to turn their faces upward. But they did not turn their face upward in adoration. They turned their face upward in order to say, why have you done this to me? They turn their faces upward in contempt. And in verse 22, the next verse, it says, And they will look to the earth. Instead of looking to God, they looked to the earth. They looked, at, they looked upward to God and blamed him and looked to the earth for their solutions. And behold, distress and darkness and gloom of anguish. That's what they're going to have. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. Thick darkness. That is the condition of every human heart without Christ. This is not just describing the people of, of this territory that is just them. It's us. Now, let me describe this territory you know, right now because it, it kind of you need to understand this. This place was called Zebulun and Naphtali. You're gonna read, we're going to read that in the next verse. This region... It's really the place where the tribes, when they came across, when Joshua led the people there, they said, we're going to let Manasseh keep some their, their people over on the uh, east side of Jordan, and they're going to come over with you on the west side of Jordan, and right immediately on that side of the river, around the, the lake of uh, Galilee, that's where the land of Naphtali is. And just south of that is Zebulon. Now, you'll never guess what's in that region. Well, Nazareth is there. Well, that's the place where our Lord was, was born. Canaan was there. That's where he performed his first miracle. Capernaum is there. In other words, this is the Lord's stomping grounds. This is the, where the Lord grew up. This place is where Isaiah is going to say, Oh, you people that lived in darkness, such deep darkness, there's going to be a light come to you. Let's read in chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Do you see? Now that verse makes sense, doesn't it? It's not going to be any gloom for the people in that day. How do I know it's going to be in the future? Because he tells us later on. And in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Why? Because they, they had contempt for God. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. 
This is where the Lord is going to grow up. This is where when he came out of the wilderness after being tempted by the devil and began his three-year ministry of preaching the gospel, this is where it started, right here. In this place where there is a great light, a great light to the people that are in extreme thick darkness. Now we get into the verses where it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Now, this is not a historical thing. Well, that's not true, is it? It is a historical thing. But it's not just a historical thing. We live in this world in the same type of darkness. And Christ is the same kind of light. The light is a metaphor for truth. Darkness is a metaphor for, the, for sin. We in this world are in thick sin, thick darkness. And we need to have the preachers, like our brother taught in the, in, the, in the study hour, we need to have the dawn of light rise up within them to show the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because those who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and that light is Christ himself. And they dwelt in this land. Verse number 3 of chapter 9. You have multiplied the nation. And this is the nation that Christ is going to raise up in his kingdom. It is the real Israel. It is the Israel that, that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the real sons of Abraham, those that repent from sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as the joy at harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now, these are two examples of how the joy, how Isaiah is telling you about their joy. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a garden, okay? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not very good at gardening, but when I do have a garden, uh, it's kind of a, a nice thing when all the work is done all year long. You try to keep out the weeds. You try to keep out the bugs, which is impossible in Florida, you know. But up, at least up in Ohio, you could do something about it. And when we had a harvest, it was like, man, this is great. Look at the goodness that comes right up out of the ground. It's wonderful. And we would can it. We would keep it. And every time we would enjoy it, it was just wonderful. But this other one, this other example that Isaiah says, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now, the spoil is usually described as something that's accomplished after a battle and after they win. And the closest example I could come to explain how you would have this joy of spoiling it's not a good example, but it's the best one I have. And it's when I was a young boy, I, uh, I was not raised in a, in a real Christian home. And uh, every, every Halloween, I would go out and I would beg for candy at all the doors, you know. And I can remember when I was about five years old, maybe younger, because when this happened, I was at least five. That's the oldest I could have been. But I went out and uh, I had pillowcase. You know, and I was going to go out and just get as much candy as I could. Knock on every door, run through every lawn, jump over every hedge, not care about what's going on in the neighborhood. I didn't care who lived in the house. I just know that if they handed out Snickers, I went there again. <laughs> I went and I pillaged the neighborhood. One year, when I walked around, 
And you know, when, you know, when I got home, I would pour it out. I would squirt it all out. I would just rejoice over the spoil of it, right? And you would say, these I keep, this I trade to get more of these. That's the type of pillaging that I had. But when I was out, I can remember that there was another group of kids, like 10 and 11, big kids, bully kids. And they, would, they targeted me, took my candy, just like that. There I was, poor little boy. Really, the only difference between them and me was the age. They were pillaging, I was pillaging. And this type of example can only be come to bear on what I want you to understand is, is this. The next verse says, for, and then after that, for, and after that, for. For the yoke of his burden, for every boot of the trampling, and for unto us a child. Now, let's look at the first example. This idea that we have a great joy, like there is a spoiling that we can just say, look at what the Lord has done when we have accomplished this battle. And I would say this, for the yoke of the burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken down as in the day of Midian. Now, I don't know if you remember your Old Testament, but Midian was a place that had Midianites. These are the people. And there was a time in the book of Judges, you can read about it, from verses, uh, chapters around 6, 7, 8, and 9. You read about that. And it had to do with the way these Midianites would pillage at the time of harvest. The people would harvest and they would say, oh, look at the food we have. What a joyful thing it is. And you know what happened? The Midianites came and they would just take it all. They would, they would just pillage it like they were five-year-olds. And they would just come up and yank it out of their hands and go back to Midian. And it happened year after year after year. Well, there was a man by the name of Gideon. And he was not, well, actually, an angel came to him and said, you are a man of valor. But Gideon did not view himself like that. God says, you are going to be the one to rid this land of these Midianites who come and take your joy of the harvest. And it will be you that, has the, that will have the spoil of this victory. And how does he do it? Well, when word got out, armies came. People came. Many, many came. 32,000 people came under Gideon's banner. Now, you may say, well, that's a lot. You know how many Midianites there were? 135,000. So, that's not enough. It's not enough. And yet Gideon says, okay, I'll do it. However, the Lord told Gideon, this is way too many, way too much, way too many. How can God receive the glory in this? When you have gone out with all the men and you say, well, we were brave, we were good, we are good Christians and we deserve it. And we can do this ourselves. We are able to do this because we're so smart. And we have done such good things. But the Lord said, no. I want you to tell the ones that are afraid to go home. How many went home? 22,000 went home. And so you may say, oh, well, they still have 10,000 left, right? Well, the Lord says, this is still too not. This is, this is too many. 
He will not receive the glory. Do you see? I want you to understand that God saves sinners for his own glory because it's a good thing Mm -hmm. to save sinners for his own glory. Because saving sinners works like this. Sinners deserve justice, not mercy. And so God has chosen to glorify himself by the salvation of sinners. And so he weeded them out. He said, take these men down, let them lap the water. You know the story. I'm not going to get into the details. But when it was all over, 300 men were left. 300 to go against 135. And you know how the Lord said to do? He didn't say, I want you to sneak up on them and cut their throats and do this. No, 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 no. He says, I want you to break your men up into 100 groups and take a clay jar. A clay jar. Now, I don't know, you don't have to be a genius when it comes to interpreting scripture. But are we not just clay jars? Are we not just clay jars? And it says, within that jar, put a torch. Put something that burns. Put something that sheds light. Like what the prophet should have been. Put something there and take a trumpet. Like the seven trumpets, perhaps. And then at the command of Gideon, you will break the clay jars and the light comes out and you'll shout, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Now, I don't know about you, but 300 clay pots breaking and the light appearing out of nowhere and the shout that it is the sword of the Lord. Now, you don't have to be a genius to know that this right here is the sword of the Lord. The word of God shining out of men who have been broken for the service of God. Don't think you're getting out of this alive. Unless God comes back, every one of us will have this clay broken. But let it shine with the gospel of Christ. Let the truth come out in a land that's filled with darkness. And this is what it says here. For the yoke of his burden... And the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. Every boot of the trampling warrior in battle and tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. People say, well, that's not a very Christmas type of verse, is it? Look at all the words that say blood and, you know, boot and trampling and things of this nature. But it works like this. God is saying, in your warfare... In your Christian warfare, when you serve God, there are armies against you. Satan has a plan to destroy you, but God has a better plan to save you. And when it comes to this battle, when it comes to the spoil that you're going to rejoice over and the harvest that you're going to have your joy in, it's going to come with this. God is saying now, the reason that you can rejoice is that every boot that's ever trampled you, every Soldiers that's ever been filled with the blood of God's people, they're going to be fuel for the fire. But I also want you to consider this. Every one of our swords will be beaten into plowshares. And there will come a time when we will never battle again. There will come a time when men will have peace with God. Now, the enemy, the enemy who has the boots that trample down God's people, and they are drenched in the blood of God's people, those things will be burned as fuel for the fire. 
And judgment is coming, folks. And these boots and garments are not going to be thrown in empty. There'll be people wearing them. Judgment is coming. Why? For the yoke of the burden is broken. For the boot is going to be thrown as fuel for the fire. And for unto us a child is born and a son is given. That's the victory. And that is how we win, by God becoming flesh, dying for our sins. And there will be a grand harvest one day, and we will joy over the spoils of this war. And it will never change ever, ever again. The, the whole idea of the incarnation is not a very small thing. If I, if I had to write a story of fiction, I could not make up something more fantastical. That the God who created all things should become like one of us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, the practical application I have is, is very short and very simple. I listen to a lot of sermons when I prepare. I read certain people. I, I do read. And, 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 I, and I listen to uh, a variety of sermons by a man by the name of Alistair Begg. You may, have know, you may know who that is. And um, he mentioned a guy in one of his sermons. And so I looked him up. This guy was by the name of Griffith Thomas. He wrote some very good commentaries. And he was quoted as saying this. This is what he said. The Old Testament is a proclamation of unfulfilled prophecies. It's a book of unexplained ceremonies. And it produces a litany of unsatisfied longings. And I thought, what an amazing thing to say. What an amazing thing to say. That when we look at the first advent, we see so many prophecies. Because Simeon is there. Let me see the Christ. Let me see this. And they have the ceremonies. Come and present this child. Come and do this and come and do that. And all these things are fulfilled in Christ. Every one of them. The prophecies are fulfilled by his life. The ceremonies completed by his death. And the longings are satisfied by his resurrection. We may say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian. You need the Old Testament. The Old Testament is required. It, is, it works like this. The Old Testament contains the New Testament, but it's concealed within it. The Old Testament has the New Testament concealed within it. And the New Testament has the Old Testament revealed in it. Everything in the New Testament says, this is what the Old Testament said. And our Lord is coming to save us. And he has come and was made flesh. Remember the, 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 the vision that the, the woman had a man-child, ascended up to the throne, and Satan was cast down. What a victory that is. That's already happened, folks. That is already ours. Salvation is ours. But there is something that's yet to happen, and that is the completeness of our salvation. We look at that next week. Next week. So the conclusion of what the matter is here is that the purpose of the entire Bible is to reveal that Jesus Christ is the Savior of undeserving sinners. Mm -hmm. But don't think that because God says, Oh my goodness, look at these people. i got to have some of those. It's not like he went through some flea market and walked by a, a table and says, Oh, I can sand that up and make it look pretty good. 
I can just grease this up. Well, somebody would have thrown that away. No, it's not like that. The Lord didn't come by and find some sinners he thought he could do something with. It'd be more like this. What in the world is this doing here? This is, it's not as though you would say, it's not worth anything. I'm not even going to pay attention to it. No, you say something ought to do something about this. This is awful. As a matter of fact, someone ought to dig a hole and put it in it. This is what we are. We are not something that God says, oh, if I only had a few more of these. No. No. We have to see that God is glorifying justice and righteousness and his mercy and his grace. We get to see the glorified Christ. We get to see who God really is. And he does so for our benefit by saving undeserving sinners. Now this season... You're going to, you might even get a Christmas card. It may even say on the, on, on the outside, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And that's a good thing. That's, that's right from Luke. But I would like to say this. Let there be peace on earth in the hearts of men with God. And let there be goodwill of God towards man in Christ. And that is the gospel. That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, as we celebrate this time of year, you'll have family. You'll see people that you'll see glad to come, see them glad to go. You'll have all types of fellowship. You know, it's going to be fun. It's going to be wonderful. But don't forget your place in this battlefield. Mm -hmm. Don't forget your place. Mm -hmm. We are the clay pots meant to be broken to shine. Mm -hmm. We are the ones that that we do not carry the sword of Gideon into battle to, to, to shed the blood of our enemies. The sword of the Lord will cut the hearts of those and blessed be the hearts that are slain by the sword of the Lord. Amen. Because I was one. Mm -hmm. The Lord slayed me with the gospel. Mm -hmm. I died to sin and was made alive to God mm -hmm. from it. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Holy Father, we now thank you for sending your Son to become flesh, and you gave your only begotten Son, that whoever believes would not be condemned, but have everlasting life. Father, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that this day may be fully given to your glory. Open the hearts of your people to understanding. Give us grace that we might glorify you as we should. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.